Before we get started today, I just want to give everyone a heads up that the audio is not quite up to our usual pristine quality. We had a few technical problems and a few issues with our recording location, but we decided that it was worth putting this episode out anyway because we have a really awesome guest today. Right, Jake? Definitely, Jim. We are really lucky to have Danny Smith on the podvocate today. Uh, Danny is a Loyola alum who's actually working in D.C. right now under the umbrella of Senator Cory Booker. Uh, and Danny is actually also working on the Senate Judiciary Committee, serving as one of Senator Booker's counsel. Um, so we were really lucky to be able to get Danny on today and, and talk about working as a non-traditional J.D. and working in politics and what that looks like. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this is The Podvocate. We are law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Well, we are joined by Danny Smith today. And uh, Danny, before we get rolling, I would love for you to just give a brief introduction to our audience as to who you are and what you do. So tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing right now and, and how that work uh, is, is really satisfying you in your career. Sure. So, um, uh, so I'm a counsel uh, to Senator Cory Booker on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I've been in this position now since January 2018 when Senator Booker was moved onto that committee. And right now I am working on a memo for our office that kind of lays out the factual background surrounding the allegations regarding Trump and his phone call to uh, the president of Ukraine, as probably your listeners are aware, there is an impeachment inquiry going on over on the House side, and so we're starting to do our research uh, on the Senate side to prepare for just like the process, what that will look like over here, but then separately what all the facts and details are that are out there so far. So how does one, with a JD, and obviously the theme of today's episode is non-traditional JD work, how does one with a JD go from um, looking at firm work or contract work or something like that to really having your fingertips on something that's affecting really every American? Well, I'll first just say that, I mean, there are a lot of attorneys that work up here on Capitol Hill. Uh, a lot of offices have attorneys in like roles that cover judiciary portfolio issues, but also other issues is like healthcare and commerce and things of that nature. So my transition kind of happened because I was practicing law and I decided that actually policy and politics was just a better fit for me. And so I decided to make that jump. And I think there are a lot of skills that you acquire while you're in law school and, and practicing if you choose to do that, that can really transition well over to working on the Hill. It's really, really interesting. So you are a Loyola alum, which is obviously how you and I came to, to be connected and how we got you on the show. Tell the listeners a little bit about you know your undergrad experience and what really drove you to want to work on the Hill. Sure, yeah. So I went to uh, the University of Notre Dame for undergrad. And so I, I grew up in Washington, D.C. So I've always been pretty close to the action here, uh, like with politics, have family that has uh, been in politics previously, not in any sort of elected position, but similar roles to what I'm in now. And so I've always kind of followed it and been interested in it. When I was in high school for a summer, I was a Senate page, um, which was a great experience, just really wonderful exposure to seeing how the Senate works and listening to senators talk about a whole array of issues that affect the country. 
And then when I was in college, uh, one summer, I interned for Senator Patty Murray, who's the senator from Washington. And that was another great experience that really just exposed me to a lot of the uh, facets of the United States Senate and Capitol Hill. And those were some of the things I think that when I was practicing law that and I was thinking about maybe making a career change, those were some of those experiences I thought back on and really thought about, wow, you know, maybe this would be a better fit. And then separately, I also, after I graduated from college, uh, I worked for the Democratic National Convention Committee in Denver, and I was planning to go to law school just that following semester, so it was only going to be a summer gig, but an opportunity sort of arose from that where I could do advance on the Obama campaign in 08, and so I felt like that was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so uh, I deferred for one semester and did that and then worked on the presidential inaugural committee. And so those were also other experiences that I thought about when I was making my decision of whether or not I want to continue practicing law as a commercial litigator or if I wanted to kind of make the change and start working more of the policy politics realm. It's really remarkable. You've given us a lot to unpack there. But um, I, I suppose before we dive uh, too deep into um, you know, your commercial litigation work and how you segue it. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, I think a lot of us as law students, and I think really any law student could identify, there's this sort of existential crisis that happens of where do we fit in the legal world? Where do we fit in the world as a whole? So how did you sort of um, navigate that and, and come to find that politics was your, was your true passion? What I would say to start off is, is, is it takes time you know, I don't think always that we don't always like find the perfect fit right away. And, you know, we may try a couple things out and then eventually find the job that we want to have for, you know, the rest of our lives or at least for, you know, a long period of time. And so when I was in law school, I was on law review and I did a moot court and moot court in particular, like doing like the, you know, brief writing and the arguments really, I think it spoke to me in terms of like, oh, wow, I think I really want to practice law because I really enjoyed that. I found it really interesting. As opposed to pursuing a career more in the policy politics realm, I took that experience and like decided like I wanted to be a litigator. I was lucky. Uh, I got a job at a boutique law firm in downtown Chicago. Uh, the offices are on LaSalle working as a commercial litigator. And it was a really good experience. And I, I really thought that I learned a lot. But at the same time, there were certain elements of it that like also I, I didn't enjoy as much. I, I would say that I started to really think long and hard about what it was I wanted to be doing for the next five or 10 years. And after a year and a half, I made the decision that being a commercial litigator was not what I wanted to be doing. And that I think I thought a better fit, something I would enjoy a lot more would be working in Washington, DC, where I'm from on Capitol Hill. I thought that would be a much better fit. So while you're you're going through this decision-making process, you're working at this boutique law firm, you know, a lot of people can't even find jobs and you've got this job that you're, you know, at least at one point were excited about and enjoying. What was that process like of deciding, you know, I'm going to leave this law firm and I'm going to pursue something that I really want in DC? It was a hard process. I mean, there was a lot of uncertainty in it and particularly because I wanted to work on the Hill and having been in, you know, growing up in DC, I knew that it was a lot easier to find a job here if I was physically here. And so I left my job without having one and moved in with my parents because my financial future was uncertain and just started pounding the pavement, taking a lot of informational meetings, trying to meet people to get my foot in the door somehow. I actually first got 
like the legal internship for Harry Reid, who's been the majority leader. Uh, so this is all in like the September, October of 2013. Like I took that just because I wanted to start getting experience and I thought that would be a good network base. So it was really, it was, it was hard. I mean, there were moments of like real uncertainty and fear, but at the same time, like I felt this was ultimately the right choice for me. You, uh, you continue to wow us with the names that fill your resume. So now let's let's set the table a little bit. So the year's 2013. Obama has just started his second term, and you are still finding your way in D.C. And so now you've been. You said you've been with Senator Booker for six years. How did you find that position, and and how did that become available to you? And and what was the process like trying to figure out where exactly you wanted to be? When I left my job as a commercial litigator in Chicago, that was around September of 2013. I moved back to Washington D.C. and then very fortunately, I was very fortunate getting a, like a legal internship in Harry Reid's office that created a base for me to kind of like go out and search for a job like and while also kind of gaining some experience and it just so happened to be that at the same time Senator Booker was running for office for United States Senator. Senator Lautenberg had passed away and there was a year remaining on his unexpired term and so Senator Booker was sworn in on October 31st of 2013 and I had definitely heard about him and uh, his career and admired him and I started to look for ways to try to get an interview with the office and I was fortunate that the deputy chief of staff in Harry Reid's office, who ended up being a real mentor to me, knew someone who was recently hired by Senator Booker, and I met with her, and then she got me an interview with the chief of staff, and I was hired a month later in December 2013. So it was just this really very fortunate confluence of events, and I had a lot of people who helped mentor me and you know gave me a lot of encouragement so I was very fortunate in that respect and I actually started as a legislative correspondent which is uh, an entry-level position here on the hill the primary task of a legislative correspondent or LC as they're known up here is to respond to constituent mail that was also kind of a hard part of this process like when I was attorney in Chicago making good money and now as entry-level position on Capitol Hill but working for a great member and so it wasn't necessarily this neat clear path to becoming a counsel, there was a lot of zigzagging, and but I was very fortunate to get my foot in the door because I always tell folks I meet with up here on Capitol Hill who are looking for a job. Like the first landing, the first job is always the hardest, and it gets easier after that. Definitely, and I think that's amazing advice—not just for people working on the Hill, but really for any young lawyer, right? I mean, we're all sort of trying to figure out where we fit and and what the right position for us is, and I think everybody has a little bit of fear of being underemployed. You've been all over the place in terms of how many people you've worked for and the breadth of the work you've covered. Um, and now you're in this really amazing position where you do get to serve as counsel to a, you know, a pretty well-known individual in American politics. I think a lot of us uh, sort of just see politicians and, and see their face and what they say on TV. But obviously, you're doing a lot of the behind-the-scenes work. I know uh, Senator Booker, for example, one of his big passions has been criminal justice reform. And so I think for us, it would be awesome if you could sort of illustrate if that's the example you choose to use. And if there's a better one, that's great. But how does that legislative process work for someone who's serving as a counsel? And what is your role in getting those those legislations through and, and passed? Just taking a step back real quick, just for the listeners who may not be familiar, like the structure of an office is that you have the member up top and then you have the chief of staff right below, but then you have this whole legislative team that's guided by a legislative director. 
and beneath the legislative director, you have what are known as legislative assistants, or if they're lawyers, they can't have the title counsel. And the legislative assistants or counsels really have, they have a policy portfolio of issues that they specialize in, that they advise a senator on, and they focus on legislation in that area. So their duties would include drafting legislation, drafting amendments, looking at other members' bills or amendments, and drafting recommendations on those, like memos on that. Since Senator Booker is on the Senate Judiciary Committee, that also has additional responsibilities, such as preparing for hearings and markups or executive business meetings where legislation is considered, nominees are considered, and then voted out, and they then go to the Senate floor. So in terms of like drafting a bill, the process kind of looks like this. There's an office on the Senate side, and there's also one on the House side. It's called the Legislative Council Office, and these are nonpartisan attorneys who are experts in the United States Code, and they are the ones that we'll reach out to when we have ideas for bills that we want to introduce, that we'll work with them to draft up the legislation. Say Senator Booker has an idea for a criminal justice bill, like either email it to me, text it to me, or just say it in a meeting, and then I'll take that idea and I will work with legislative counsel to kind of put pen to paper and get it drafted. And then once it's drafted, then what I'll usually do is work with a bunch of experts in the field who really focus on a particular area, say if it's reentry or sentencing reform. Like I'll work with criminal justice experts to help ensure that the way I'm drafting the bill, the way we're drafting it is, is right. We're not missing anything. We're not doing something that will have some unintended consequence. And so I'll get feedback from those experts, incorporate that send it back to legislative council and keep on working on that until we feel like the bill is in a good place where we're confident, like, okay, we can introduce this now. And then you introduce it. And there are a whole bunch of different strategies that you can go about in terms of, like, do you want co-sponsors? How many groups are you going to have endorse the bill? But that's kind of the basic process to introducing a bill. And I've worked on many bills that Senator Booker's introduced in the criminal justice space from the Redeem Act, which is a sealing and expungement bill, to the Fair Chance Act, which would ban the box for people with criminal records applying to jobs in the federal government with federal contractors. So I've worked on a number of different proposals in that space related to that portfolio. Well, first, I think we just need to acknowledge your very subtle flex that you do text with senators. That was pretty, um, that was pretty smooth and well done. But I, I, I want to touch a little bit on, you know, I think there's this big misconception that we just expect these people that we elect, you know, if that's members of the House or senators, that they can just immediately come in and make change. And this process you've described clearly illustrates that it's really not that simple. And there is so much thought and there is such a, a thorough process that happens for every piece of legislation. I'm curious, from your perspective, are there certain things from a timeline uh, on a timeline that just take longer? Or, you know, is, is it really just dependent on who's in as an elected official, what's what's the average timeline? I know that's a silly question because there isn't one, but if you could touch on that, I think that would be very cool. Well, I would say, like, first to just start off, that the Senate, by design, is supposed to be a slow-moving body. That The House, the way the framers intended it, was really supposed to respond to the passions of the people, while the Senate is supposed to be sort of the, the cooling saucer, as many people say, where a lot of the ideas that the House has then get sent over to Senate and are considered and debated, and it takes a lot more time. In my experience, it takes quite a long time to not only draft the bills and get them introduced, but also just to move them through the legislative process to build coalitions and support. It can take several Congresses, and like a, one Congress is two years, 
So it takes quite a bit of time. But I would say, well, I think there could be frustrating aspects of that in terms of like, oh, God, I just wish I could get this done sooner. It, it's also intended to be that way because when you're enacting legislation that's going to impact the entire country, like you want it to be really well thought out and considered and debated to make sure you flush out all the different issues that can arise that like beforehand. I think it's hard to put an exact average timeline on things, but I, like I can definitely say it can take years for sure to get things through, but that's how it's supposed to be. Absolutely. And I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that's sort of a misconception that we all sort of carry until we're really in the weeds on how the policy works, right? I mean, we all sort of expect that we elect a, a senator and they're going to go in and immediately have sweeping change and, and implement the changes that we want to see. Have you found it, with your time in D.C. that does that get frustrating or is that an issue that presents itself often? You know, I guess because I, I've taken the approach that this is how it's meant to be. You know, I, it doesn't usually frustrate me. It can and it has at times, but I would say that this is kind of like the way it's designed. And so you go in with that expectation and you understand you're operating within that system. When you have that understanding and that expectation, it, it helps give you patience. I would say I get frustrated by it very often. Well, I wish we could all have that level of patience. I think I think we would all benefit. Um, so I'd love to uh, to circle back around a little bit to you and, and your JD in particular. Obviously, you know, we I'm in Loyola's law program right now. You're an alum. How do you feel? Maybe it's not specific to Loyola. Maybe it is. But how do you feel that your time here studying as a JD really prepared you for what you're doing now and, and whatever comes next for you? Well, and I think it's interesting from my perspective talking to you, too, because you don't have a traditional JD path. I mean, you deferred a semester to work on the on the DNC inaugural committee. I mean, that in and of itself is a is an amazing opportunity. Do you feel as though non-traditional timeline, I guess we could call it, disadvantaged you in any way or put you behind the eight ball at all? I definitely am glad that I ended up deferring for a semester. I actually tell a lot of people who are thinking about law school, I do think it's actually good to take some time off now unless you're just really committed to going to law school and getting it done right away. I just think that it gives you one professional experience and that just helps boost your resume when you're applying separately. Like it just makes you feel refreshed going back into school. I definitely think that taking that semester off, having that experience was just, I met so many fantastic people who I've stayed in touch with over the years who have done amazing things. And I'm just so grateful to have had that experience. And so what I would say to anyone is that if you have this, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity to work on a campaign or to take a particular job, like you should do it because law school will always be there. I went to law school with people who were in their late 20s and their 30s, even their 40s and 50s. Like you don't want to pass up those opportunities because they can end up being very impactful on your life. 
Yeah, I think that's that's really beautifully said. I, I know from my experience and the experience of my teammates on the podcast, you know, we're surrounded by people both that came straight into law school and also people that have professional experience. And sometimes, you know, those discrepancies are pretty obvious. And I think you've really illustrated that wonderfully. You know, I, I again, I, I hate to keep circling back to things, but, you know, your path is so interesting. I'm curious if you feel as though having sort of a duality in your experience, both having commercial litigation and now working in policy, if that's benefited you at all, or on the other hand, if you think if you had just gone straight into policy work, working in politics, if that would not have made a difference. You know, I I think it's always good to have diverse life experiences, both from the aspect of having what just gives you a broader perspective of, you know, what's out there and you know, how the world works, but also I think it's good to have experiences too that test you in terms of like kind of being difficult professional life experiences. Like it was hard for me making that decision to leave and come to the Hill without having a job. Like that was like a tough period, obviously ended up working out, but I do think that facing adversity like also does really help in terms of preparing you for other experiences that you're going to have in life that are difficult as well. So I'm grateful for the experience I had as a commercial litigator. I'm glad I have that perspective. And, you know, I wouldn't change anything about my career path. Having said that, if someone were to graduate from law school and jump right into policy world, I think that'd be great as well. I see nothing wrong with that, but I definitely am grateful for my experience. So we've, we've painted this really amazing picture of where you've come from, what you're doing now. So now I, I'm curious, looking forward for you, just broadly speaking, apolitically speaking, what do you see as, as coming next? Um, you know, I think to your point from earlier in the episode, you know, you touched on you're working on an impeachment proceeding and you're very experienced working in politics. And I think a lot of Americans and a lot of law students also have this concern that things are never going to look the same. So I'm curious from your perspective, what's next both for you and for the country in terms of what can we expect? And do you think things have changed that drastically? You know, professionally for me, what's next? You know, I'm still probably I'm still trying to figure that out, which I think kind of goes to an earlier question that you had when you were talking about, you know, how do you how do law school students like grapple with what they're going to do next? I mean, I'm grappling with that now in terms of what I want to do next after you know my time in the Senate is done. Um, I think 2020 for me will be a natural inflection point to determine whether or not you know I want to continue working on the Hill. Depending on if there's a change in administration, do I want to work? You know, in the administration, uh, work for the Department of Justice or a White House. So I think some of those things, you know, are still have to play themselves out. But, you know, for the time being, I have a fantastic boss with Senator Booker, and I love working here. And I'm still very much growing in my position and learning new things. Certainly, um, there haven't been a lot of impeachments, you know, in our lifetime. So (laughs) that's a new experience. And, you know, we'll see how this plays out. That'll certainly be, you know, another growing experience. But um, yeah, for the time being, I'm very happy here and love working for the United States Senate and Senator Booker. So I think one thing that that you've really highlighted, maybe not directly, but I think is, is pretty apparent is that you've really maintained this sort of openness and fluidity in your career where you really are always just pursuing whatever the best opportunity is that's available to you and really committing all that you've got to it. And I'm curious if you feel that's a personal trait for you or if if you think that being a JD and having gone to Loyola, if those are some skills that you've been able to develop over time. That's a good question. (laughs) I don't know if I quite know the answer to that. All I can say is that, you know, Loyola really prepared me well 
in terms of either working for uh, a commercial litigation firm or working for the Hill. I didn't feel like the task was too daunting, and I, you know, I give a lot of credit to Loyola for that. But in terms of just being open about my career, you know, I think that I'm just trying to, you know, keep my options open and see, you know, what life brings. Just kind of like take it in stride because there are a lot of really interesting jobs out there, and you never know like what might be a good fit depending on the time in your life. I think we could all benefit from having something like that written on our mirrors every morning. But uh, <laughs> from for you, you know, you've said you're looking forward to 2020. And, and obviously, you know, for us, holding down the fort here in Chicago, I think it's a little bit different, right, politically speaking. I mean, the Chicago landscape naturally, of course, is just completely different from the D.C. landscape. I'm curious if you have maybe not any direct recommendations, but for those that might be interested in using their JD to work in politics or pursue something policy related, does not being in DC matter, I suppose? Um, not a great way to word the question, but rather, are there ways to pursue that that opportunity in cities like Chicago and, and other big cities across the country? Yeah, I definitely think there are opportunities every, like everywhere to work in policy, whether you're in Chicago, Springfield, Illinois, or Washington, D.C. As Tip O'Neill, the former Speaker of the House, always says all politics is local. And so I, I think you can make a tremendous influence working for a mayor's office, a governor's office, a state legislature, or even you know a city council. Actually, one of my cousins, who is a Loyola grad, she just got elected alderman in Chicago. You know, that's the position that can have, like, a big influence on the community. I think, you know, a lot of people always, like, look at the United States Senate and the House of Representatives, and that's, like, I think quintessential politics. But at the same time, there are some vitally important roles to be played at the local level. So I don't think at all that you have to move to D.C. to, one, work in policy, or two, have a big impact. Well, I love that that quote, all politics is local. And, and I think, you know, a lot of us, especially now in, in the landscape that's been created, we sort of lose sight of that a little bit. I mean, you uh, you turn on any major news network and, you know, you see people like Senator Booker, like who you're working for. And then we sort of forget that on a day to day basis, they're not influencing us the way that an alderman would or the way that a city councilor would. So I suppose, you know, to follow up on that a little bit, what would be, you know, from your perspective, working in D.C., you're a counsel to a very prominent senator. From your perspective, somebody who's fresh out of law school, are they disadvantaged by not pursuing, you know, some some type of political experience if that's something they're interested in down the road? I know you did some commercial litigation for a year and a half, but um, if somebody wants to have a career change, is that a possibility for them? And do you think that's a good move or a bad move either way? Going back to what I said earlier, like I think the hardest job, like at least for Capitol Hill, the hardest job is always to get is the, the first one, and it's just about getting your foot in the door. Because at least up here, like one of the things that folks just value so much is experience. Because there's not really any good parallels to the way that the United States Senate or the United States House of Representatives like operates elsewhere. And so I think that the transition isn't always easy, but it's absolutely possible. So, like, if you are a litigator or a corporate attorney at a big firm and you've been there for five years and you're looking at making a change and working on the Hill or working, you know, for, like, local government, that opportunity is absolutely there. It definitely can happen. You just kind of have to be persistent and persevere sometimes. Like, it's not always going to be easy, but it's absolutely possible. Danny, I think that's a perfect way to close this out. I mean, you've touched on so many things that are preached to law students, perseverance, 
you know, determination and, and open-mindedness. And I think you've really been able to sort of encapsulate that really well, not only personally, but with your words, sort of being able to express that in a way that we can all identify with. I first and foremost just want to say thank you, and I'm so appreciative for your time. I know that it's so valuable to you, and I am on my way down to many of the dean's offices to see what it's going to take to get you back out here to speak at a, at a local event. So um, I'm so appreciative, and, and thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on, Jake. I really appreciate it. And um, I always really like talking about the work that goes on up here in the United States Senate because we need a lot more people to be interested in public service. Uh, it's definitely a really great path. It's not necessarily going to make you the most money, but it's very rewarding. And, you know, we need more Loyola Ramblers up here. So hopefully uh, a few of a few alums uh, will start to make their way out here and work on the hill with me. I'm sending them your way. How is that? <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Danny, thank you so much. And and again, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jake. That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, an event you'd like us to address, or just something you're passionate about, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Our producer is Jim Alritz. Our senior editor is Radhika Sutherland. Our associate editors are Haley Burridge and Jake Kupferman. And our editor-in-chief is Matt Doran. Special thanks to Dean Michael Kaufman for providing us the resources and support to make this show possible. And thanks to our predecessors, the Dialogue DeNovo team, for launching a podcast on our campus. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podcast.